0: Politics Uncensored with Ali Malani on FUBAR Radio.
1: Welcome back, everybody. It's me again, Ali Malani, joining you for another episode of Politics Uncensored. Uh, We have an amazing show. First of all, let me apologise. We're one minute behind schedule, and that was largely because I had such a fantastic conversation with Michael Crick, veteran political journalist, who'll be joining us today to talk about the Labour Selection Scandal, and you do not want to miss it. Uh, We had a great conversation around um, what's been going on around the country and the implications that it might have on politics and the Labour Party more broadly. Uh, we also have Eminent Cohen, former La- Labour MP, who was barred from standing in the next election. But before we go into Labour land and talk about selections, uh, we- we've got the week unwrapped. This is the segment where we talk about the biggest political stories of the week with a guest. Uh, and this week, we have the brilliant Natalie Balmain, the UK's first alternative prime minister. Uh, Natalie, Won, uh, was the winner of the Channel 4's Make Me a Prime Minister uh, program, Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, I'm I'm not quite sure uh, it, whether it's uh, what your title is, but I'm going to go with Your Highness. Natalie, thank you so oh, much. Oh,
2: uh, that, well, that <laughs> works for me. I'm not going not gonna... <laughs> <I'm laughs> well, to correct you there.
1: Well, listen, we need some alternative politicians and an alternative prime minister desperately, so I'm so glad uh, that you were able to join us. The first story we're looking at is regarding Donald Trump. So many may have seen Vice President former vice president uh Mike Pence has formally announced he will be running for president next year. He posted a video on Twitter saying, I believe in the American people and I have faith God is not done with America yet. Together we can bring this country back and the best days for the greatest nation on earth are yet to come. He also had a scathing attack on his former running mate Donald Trump in which he said at the Capitol riot on the 6th of January Donald Trump made him choose between him and the constitution and according to Mike Pence he is going to choose the constitution every time. Natalie, what is your response to Mike Pence formally announcing he's going to run for president that's alongside I think Chris Christie now uh, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. This is a field made in hell.
2: It absolutely is. I mean, let's not let's not make any mistake about this. Mike Pence is a man who voted to restrict access to abortion rights. He's a man who is anti-climate change. He's pro the coal industry. And and let's face it, he was a pretty obsequious vice president to Donald Trump. I think it's interesting that he's calling him out now. He called him out at the point where he had no other choice but to call him out with Capitol rights. I'm pretty sure Donald made him choose between uh, the Constitution and and himself many times before, and he chose Trump. So, you know, uh, I think this is a guy who i've even i've even checked him out apparently he was originally a democrat in his youth oh was so, he so, this,
1: yes I, he's a bit of a weirdo as well just just in general because was i think he was the guy and i'm gonna throw three allegedly's 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 before i get sued <laughs> but he was the guy who wouldn't be with a woman alone in a room or something and he said that you know he's he's got a really really weird past and It's interesting now that he's called, like you said, now he's calling out Donald Trump. You know, it doesn't take much courage to do it when nothing's on the line and you're running against him.
2: Absolutely. I mean, um, another thing that's interesting to note is that, you know, before his vice presidency, apparently the Pence family were virtually destitute. So, you know, it was a good payday for him, uh, the vice presidency. He's now uh, worth a reported four million dollars. So, um, <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's very easy to, that's become uh,
1: a, that's become to a, stand
2: up for, for what the people want. Especially when you're you know. getting
1: paid that much for it. Um, another story that's hit the news uh, this week is more than double the target number of cancer patients waited longer than a month for their treatment. It comes as the Royal College of Radiologists have warned that all four nations are facing chronic staff shortages and are unable to provide safe and effective care for all cancer patients. This is on the back. We've spoken on this show before uh, of seven million strong uh, waiting lists across the NHS, which means that cancer deadlines are being missed and patients are not getting the effective care that they need. Uh, Natalie, what's what's your view on this? I mean, the NHS is really, really on its last legs now. I mean, we're talking a hair strand it's surviving through.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, this has been a ticking time bomb for some time. And um, something that the current government, in, in my opinion, have just failed to address in the 13 years um, in administration. It's just absolutely shocking, really. You know, some of these statistics, uh, the target for for patients, you know, to receive surgery for, for cancer is supposed to be 6% or less who wait more than one month. And it's actually over 23%. That's yep. about four times. And it's absolutely you know and, and cancer i don't think anybody needs it explaining to them the big c one of the most crucial yeah. things that, that early treatment is mm. needed for and look um, this is
1: I, I just want to ask look we, we've had we did an entire show on the nhs a, a few weeks ago um and the thing that's concerning me and i've been saying it for like five years now and i think finally people are starting to to pay attention is this isn't an accident this is by design i've seen this done in other areas before they, they deprive the service of all the money it needs, all the resources they need so it doesn't function and then they propose privatization. They bring you all the glossy leaflets and say you could be seen in ten days for cancer for, uh, or for for any issue. You, you know, you'll see your GP that day, and that's how they convince the public uh, on privatization. That's the way we're going, isn't it?
2: Absolutely, and it's a slippery slope from there. You know, I spend a lot of time in in the United States and talk to friends over there who admire our National Health Service. They want to move yeah. towards something like that. Um, because of all of the things that come along with having a completely privatized service that doctors upsell in the United States. You don't get offered therapies first. You don't get offered physio and and other treatments that might be better for you. You get offered surgery straight away, regardless of whether you need it or not. I mean, these are things we really want to be avoiding in this country. And, um, you know, it's just been been sold to AWS um, by the Tories. And it's just absolutely shocking. It's one of those things of
1: you don't know what you have until you lose it, because you know, I, I spent I spent a few months in America, not, not too long ago in 2020, just before the COVID crisis. And I was shitting myself. Every time I sneezed, I was panicking that I'd have to go to a hospital and become bankrupt. Given Do you the know how of... much
2: it costs to call an ambulance in America?
1: No, you're going to have to tell me. Was, this is going to make me cry. Two and a
2: half thousand dollars this... to call an ambulance.
1: And look, I, I really, really hope my worry is that specifically with the nhs there's complacency even within the public they're never going to get rid of it you know it's yep. one of the, it's one of the things that's most popular uh, about what the state does and i'm 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 really worried that it really is on the chopping block um th- last story third and final story Ministers could face criminal sanctions for deleting WhatsApp messages. So ministers have been told that they could face criminal sanctions for deleting their WhatsApp messages, the Information Commissioner has warned. Uh, John Edwards told MPs on Tuesday that ministers should not have auto-deleting messages turned on if they were using WhatsApps to conduct government business and could face prosecution if they do. This is following Boris Johnson's, uh, the you know, the story around Boris Johnson, whether he's going to provide his WhatsApp messages during the COVID crisis. I should state outright that you know <laughs> I think sometimes people might think that this is their personal WhatsApp. These are WhatsApps on uh, their 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 work phones, essentially the the phones that they get uh, to conduct their business on. You know, we could talk about the actual technical case as to whether the WhatsApps are getting deleted or not. I'm, I'm I'm less interested in that than the trust in politicians and ultimately the show that you you came out of. Trust in politicians is at such a low that Channel 4 have decided to do an alternative, making an alternative prime minister, which you amazingly won. You know, what's your view on where we are in terms of whether people trust politicians and how low things have gotten in British politics?
2: I think this is actually right up there with our economy and climate change. is one of the biggest issues that we face as a society because the first thing that any leader should do, whether you are the head of a family and you are looking after children, whether you're the head of an organization or the head of a community, is to lead by example. Now, what we've got is a bunch of corrupt idiots who are breaking the law left, right and centre for insanely just frivolous reasons. And then we also have a cost of living crisis. Now, what I ask people is, why should a family who is struggling to put food on the table for their children, when they're looking at the government and the government are breaking the law and Nadim Zahawi owe millions to HMRC, going, well, if they're breaking the law, why shouldn't I break the law? I need to feed my family yeah leading by example is is one of the most crucial things that that any leader can do and the fact is is that it's just so completely destroyed now we just have no faith no trust mm-hmm. that that the relationship that that trust between the government and between the people is broken down and it will tear apart the fabric of society it really will
1: and the problem is people are you know it's a sort of self-fulfilling prop- prophecy it's a cycle because people are so disillusioned in politics people aren't getting involved in it and we end up with the same etonian sort of private school doesn't have a, an ounce or a sense of what's going on in the real world becoming mps becoming cabinet ministers becoming prime ministers. so people like me people like you are locked out and we end yeah. up with david cameron theresa may boris johnson rishi sunak and as God is my witness, all four of these people are the exact same person. So how do they we get more people are. like you involved?
2: They absolutely are. I mean, I alluded and or alleged in the final of Make Me Prime Minister that one of the reasons that Rishi Sunak isn't tackling uh, corporation tax avoidance from multinationals is that um, he's a user of offshore accounts himself. And of course, you know, Krishnan Gurumurthy said to me, well, you know, he said he isn't. And mm-hmm. I said, well, if he isn't, why doesn't he advocate for a publicly accessible register of all the beneficiaries of offshore trusts held in British territories and prove it to us once and for all? Yep.
1: Yeah. well, I, you know, I, we've had the conversation here. You know, I think a lot of times they're unwilling um, because of whose pockets they're in, because of uh, the, the interest, you know, they will be meeting with CEOs um, and hedge fund managers and things like that far more frequently than they meet real people. And therefore those views are gonna connect to them more frequently but also a lot of times they're just unable. They quite honestly have never lived a day in the life of someone like me and you. They have no idea what life is like for us. And so they're unable to meet the you know, the crises ahead of us because they just have no idea what's going on.
2: It's absolutely true. They've never had to struggle to put food on the table. They've never had to face charges because <laughs> yeah. they're-
1: I mean, to quote deficit- Rishi Sunak, he doesn't even have working class friends.
2: Well, exactly. I mean, he seemed quite proud to tell us that, which yeah. just shows you how completely
1: it doesn't want to get our smell on him. Reality, yeah. he is. Yeah.
2: Um, you know.
1: And it... so, listen, Natalie. Uh, we're just gonna come to the end of the segment. What What are your plans for the future? You've won this show. Are we going to see you in the House of Commons? Are they going to let you in the House of Commons as the first? Question.
2: Well, this is it, isn't it? Because um, you know, of course, the NEC recently have uh, suggested that some Labour candidates who've already been elected might not be able to continue holding their positions. So. um,
1: yeah, I mean, no. that, that's the conversation we're going to get into today is surrounding the NEC, the selection process, Labour, democracy, and whether it exists. Uh, thank you so much. That was Natalie Balmain, the UK's first alternative prime minister. Your Highness, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, um, <laughs> coming up next, we've got Michael Crick, where we talk about the, the scandal surrounding Jamie Driscoll, Labour mayor, who has been blocked from re-standing. He will be joining us after this.
0: Foo Bar
3: Radio presents... Lincoln, Lincoln, Lincoln. As handsome as you imagine. What did you have for breakfast that morning? Almost certainly a pie. For breakfast? Yeah, because we started really, really early, right, at the butchers. Yeah. We started proper early. At yeah. like 7 o'clock. I would have had at least six pies. A day? A day. That is a lot of pies. No, no, because we sold them at the shop. That is a legitimate answer to the question, who ate all the pies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From 1pm every Monday...
1: Welcome back. We are now joining uh, Michael Crick in a second, who's going to be talking to us uh, uh, around the conversation um, of Labour selections and Labour democracy. Uh, But one thing I want to talk about, this has all come around as a result uh, of the blocking of Jamie Driscoll uh, by the Labour NEC. And it is now astounding the number of people who have been blocked uh, as a result of really spurious uh, claims. Greg Marshall from broxtow uh, was uh, was blocked after receiving trade union support uh, and a, a, a real popular figure locally. Maurice McLeod, Camberwell and Peckham uh, was blocked despite getting uh, backing from Unite uh, and in a Labour safe seat that has never had uh, a black MP. Laura Townsend, Milton, Keyes, uh, Milton Keynes North, a councillor, someone who already holds public office in the Labour Party, was blocked uh, for... Crimes including liking a Nicola Sturgeon tweet about testing negative uh, for COVID. She enjoyed the support of Unison and six other trade unions, including Unite uh, and uh, others. Uh, Doina Cornell from Stroud, another councillor who was blocked uh, from standing. Lee Drennan, Bolton North East, another councillor who was blocked uh, from standing. Louise Atkinson, Carlisle, another councillor. Uh, and this goes on and on and on. And so now we're joined by Michael Crick, who has been keeping an eye on all of the Labour selections around the country. You do not want to miss this interview. I spoke to Michael Crick earlier today. Joining us now, we have Michael Crick, a veteran political broadcaster, one of the best names in political journalism anywhere in the UK, uh, and specifically on the topic we're discussing today, founder of Tomorrow MP's Twitter page, which has become, at least in Labour circles, the most watched Twitter account on social media. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You will have seen the sort of fallout of uh, Jamie Driscoll's case where the mayor has been blocked uh, from standing uh, as a candidate uh, for re-election. You've been monitoring these cases and these MPs all across the country. Can I quickly first ask you, what, what sort of drew you to doing this, to kind of keeping an eye on who
3: tomorrow's MPs may be? Well, I've always been fascinated in this subject. I suppose it all stems from the days way back in the 80s, when I was a young man and I hoped myself one day to become an MP. And I quickly gave that up, that ambition, preferring to be a journalist. Uh, But it always fascinated me, the process whereby people get into parliament and in most political careers being chosen as a candidate, uh, particularly for a safe seat, is often the turning point in that career it's the it's the breakthrough it's the it's the moment you become a professional really and some MPs take years and years and years to get to that stage a lot of people give up don't mm. give up persist is my uh, motto I mean Je- uh, Betty Boothroyd for instance the former speaker of the commons who died a few weeks ago she tried for 16 years to get into mm-hmm. parliament she fought five different seats and sometimes people do it in one yeah. they go to a selection meeting get selected that night and away and they get election you know maybe the by-election three weeks later other people take forever it is the turning point it gets very little media scrutiny either by local press partly because there isn't much local press these days or nationally yeah and i think so what what folks might not know is because of our political
1: system especially in labor safe seats the primary the selection process whatever you want to call it that deciding who the labor candidate will be is actually the main election, because a lot of times you're pretty much set going into a general election, and thus the big fight becomes actually in the internal party processes. Uh, could you give listeners a quick sort of glance at what the process looks like? So if, I w- if I'm a Labour Party member, or even if I'm not, uh, and I'm interested in becoming an MP, what does that process look like in, um, at, that you've been monitoring around the country?
3: Well, the process for each party is slightly different, although there are lots of similarities. But let's start with Labour. I mean, Labour advertise online on their website. In fact, they put up a new ad this lunchtime. I haven't looked at it yet. Advertising a few more seats that are open to applications Mm. and people then apply. They've got a week to apply. Any party member can apply. And then um, those applications will be gone through by uh, people in the central party to make sure they'll do what they call due diligence. Make sure Mm. that you haven't got some scandal in your background or that you didn't say on Twitter, Twitter 12 years ago that Keir Starmer was a twerp, or something like that. And, um, and then it, uh, they, they draw up a shortlist, that is then, uh, and the shortlist have to go out and uh, get nominations from the local branches and the local unions, and then it becomes a short, uh, sorry, they draw up a long list, then it becomes a shortlist of three names or four names, and eventually there is a meeting, after about six weeks, there is a big meeting to which all the members are invited and they all get one vote and the candidate contenders all make speeches and answer questions. Uh, And also you can vote by post in some, some instances or you can vote online. And that's how the process happens. And it's a sort of variation on that in the Conservative Party. The only thing in the Conservative Party is you can only apply apart from where you live, but in every other seat, you can only apply if you're already on the candidates list. And to get on the Conservative candidates list, you've got to go through various processes and tests, and Hmm. they put you through, you know, pretending to do a media interview, pretending to chair a meeting, all of those things. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Uh, Yeah, and and the the Liberal Democrats have a variation on this as well. But all of this goes on amidst, well, certainly the Conservatives and the Lib Dems, it's very, very secret. There's mm-hmm. nothing online. It's, no, the other night, for instance, I suddenly heard the Conservatives had s- chosen a candidate in Calder Valley in Yorkshire. And uh, I'd, I'd seen nothing about it online but up until the moment where the party announced their candidate. Labour, it's a lot more open. The candidates, a lot of the candidates... You know, talk about it on Twitter. They have their own websites. They make their own videos. Mm-hmm. Have their uh, uh, and uh, you know, and they tell me about it, and I <laughs> and I mention it. But my my Twitter feed is about all the parties. Yes. It's just that so far Labour have chosen 123 candidates sure. for seats they're hoping to win, yeah. and the Conservatives have chosen just 12. So that's and, why and it's easier. Of, I yeah. guess it's
1: easier to track Labour because, like you said, it's a little bit it's a, a bit little bit more open. More yeah, open. Yeah.
3: But look, I and might... also Labour have got you know Labour need to pick up m- lots of new seats. Sure. Yeah. Whereas yeah. the Conservatives just need to defend what they've got.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the same was true in 2019. I think we selected loads of people really, really quite early, um, of which I, w- I, I was one of them, which you'll know. And I'm really interested in this because, um, much like yourself, you know, it's it's a hugely important process. While someone might be getting picked in Sheffield Central, for example, today, that person beca- could become cabinet member, could become prime minister, exactly. hold very important roles. And so, while it's not covered broadly. In the national media, for example, the work you're doing, I think, is really, really important because these are the selection of
3: politicians that we're going to be picking from come future general elections. And a lot of party members, when they're choosing their candidate to be MP, think about them in terms of being an MP, Um, whereas actually parties have got to think about these people in terms of not just being an MP, but being a minister. A cabinet minister, yeah. perhaps a prime minister. And one of the uh, worries I have is that the whole process in all of the parties, but particularly Labour, your party, and the Liberal Democrats to a large degree as well, is it's become everybody sort of become obsessed that their candidate's got to be local. Right. And they uh, have got to have lived there or been brought up there, yeah. gone to school there, lived there now. Um and I just think that doesn't really matter. Yeah. You just think back into history. Whatever party yeah. you support. We
1: used to we used to have a joke when I stood yeah. that I was born on the floor of the Hillingdon Civic Centre <laughs> yeah. to make it
3: as local as possible. But I mean if you if you ask yourself who are your political heroes? Sure. You know, I mean a lot of people Tony Benn is a political hero mm. for instance. Well, you know, he was MP for Bristol and then he was MP for Chesterfield. I don't think he'd ever been to Bristol before he got chosen as candidate. Yeah. And Chesterfield, I don't suppose he'd been there very much mm-hmm. either. Yeah. And it didn't really make a difference. In the end, he made a very good MP. Yeah. Uh, and I also I think if you if you concentrate on just getting people who are local, and about two thirds of the people chosen are either councillors or they have been not long ago, yeah. then you you tend to choose people with parochial what I would call parochial interest. I so don't we've been to disparaging their education social services transport housing they are incredibly important interests but you also need people who've got are interested in the economy and Mm -hmm. foreign affairs and defense and international aid and those are more national or international interests and basically my argument would be you all parties need a variety of members of parliament yeah some of whom are going to be brilliant cabinet ministers others of whom are going to be great backbenchers and some of them will be good chairing committees i think ideally what what
1: what In the ideal process you'd have someone who understands the stories of local people doesn't mean they have to come from there but understands the stories of the people that they're representing and the national political picture whether it's economy foreign affairs other things and how that impacts local people the problem i have i wrote a whole book primarily on pretty much the selection process um in the labor party uh, you know, I was really I must switched. Get hold of a copy. I I've got one here. I've got one. I've got one here specifically for you. Let me. Let me. Very let me you. very Pass one along so you can have a read on the on the hot train back. Uh, look, the reason I was the reason I was so interested in it is because immediately after losing the 2019 election, I bounced. I went to America, yeah. and I travelled state by state, yeah. and I started to listen to their stories yes. about how they selected candidates. And look, we criticise and disparage the American political system all you all, all we want, but it sounded to me. not only more democratic but better suited to finding future leaders and and the reason that i thought that was because of what you highlighted when you spoke about the process the labor party pretty much has says to members you can choose from our pre-selected group of people we think are appropriate and with that comes a huge amount of political um accusations of of it being stitched up of it being corrupted and that's where we find ourselves today in the context around this conversation you know we've had Jamie Driscoll who was a mayor who has been um, blocked from standing but for months and months and months now we've had accusation after accusation uh, in different constituencies where people have been blocked from standing people have not been allowed onto the shortlist
3: often uh, for very trivial reasons yes as so far as we can tell in some cases we can't tell at all I mean I was speaking last night To a woman called Louise Atkinson, who's from Carlisle. She's a Labour councillor. She's also president of the teaching union, the National Education Union, um, for a a, a stint of two two or three years, I think. And she's uh, secretary of the Labour BAME group in the northwest. She's a a black woman. She was kept off the list in Carlisle. She hasn't a clue why. Nobody else has a clue why. I suspect it's because she's on the left. Yeah, I mean,
1: uh, And, and, and that's, that's happened a lot. And that's, that's, I mean, in front of me now, just in preparation for the show, I've got names and names and names. Greg Marshall, Brockstow, uh, Maurice McLeod from Kemberwell and Peckham, Laura Townsend from Milton Keynes North, which was a horrendous. She apparently was blocked. Again, allegedly, I, I don't know the inner workings of it, was blocked for liking a tweet that Nicola Sturgeon put out that she'd tested negative uh, for COVID-19. Mayor Evans Strong. and Hastings... Um, Doina, Cornell Estrada. There's, there's a
3: lot, lot more than that, and um, I mean, I, I and, and there are also people. I mean, I heard uh, this only this week of a couple of people in the northwest region who were basically advised by uh, party officials, mm-hmm. "Don't bother. We, yeah. we will weed you out. At the, we don't think yes. you're suitable. We'll weed you out." And so, so they don't even bother to apply. So, uh, and, and, and yeah. there is a lot of interference from the more interference from the centre in Labour's selections this time than ever. The interesting development that is sort of contrary to that is the role of the unions, who always used to be big in this. Sure, yeah. In some, some areas, like mining seats, the miners' union just decided who was yeah. going to be the MP. Well, when
1: I was going to stand, I was told, if, you, if you're not going to get one of the big unions on board, Unite, Unison, GMB, forget about it.
3: Yeah, well, now it doesn't really matter. No. And, and uh, I mean, they like to think it matters, but there's it, hardly any selections where I can say, well, the union made a difference there. Yeah. And, uh, it, 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 but it's very centralised, and there's a group of people around Starmer two people called Matt who work for him, Matt Pound and Matt Folding, who were previously in sort of Labour right pressure groups. Yeah. Uh, and, and they uh, like progress and uh, and Labour first. And uh, there's a guy on the National Exeter called Luke Akers. He has a big role in it and quite a few of the regional staff. And they do get involved and they and they, you know, I mean, Luke Akers, I did a podcast with him the other day. He quite freely admits we're not just weeding people out because of things they may have gone in their past that are going to embarrass us. But we're weeding people out who sort of have a record of, you know, being quite rebellious as local mm-hmm. councillors or who, you know, have made it clear that they're not going to yeah. go along with party well, look, policy on X, Y, and Z. The
1: accusation <laughs> is, and the allegations are, uh, and I'll tell you what I think about it later, but I want, I'm more interested in what you have to, right. have to say. The allegation is you either take a knee and kiss the ring or you are not going to become a Labour candidate in 2024. Is that your experience of, you know, I, I, think, th- I think, think that you is know. what is
3: happening. And I think you're, I think it's very, very foolish for the party. And Starmer, frankly, has not been in politics for very long. And if he had been in politics for very long, he might be a bit more mature about this. If you look at any Labour government, it has had a sprinkling of big left wingers. You know, the, yeah. the Attlee government, you had Stafford Cripps and, and, and Nye Bevan. Wilson had Barbara Castle, uh, Richard Crossman and others. Blair had John Prescott, Clare Shaw, Robin Cook. Sure. I don't think those people would have been selected by Starmer's Labour Party in 2023. Yeah. I think they. I think. I think. I don't think Angela Rayner would have been yeah. selected in 2023. Mate, would Gordon Brown have been selected? Well, possibly not. And I think if you have all the people in Parliament, all the people in your cabinet, are uh, being mates and very you know similar back, similar middle class professional backgrounds. Hardly any working class people ever chosen anymore, or trade union uh, people with big trade union backgrounds. If you have them all similar backgrounds, similar outlooks, they're not going to rebel. They've got, you know, they, they're happy to go along with the party line. You, 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 it's a very dull and dangerous situation. I mean, I think the experience of the Boris Johnson and Liz Truss governments shows how dangerous it can be. If you have a government of, of where everybody thinks the same, yeah. a strong prime minister, a strong leader, strong president of the United States like uh, Abraham Lincoln, believes and bringing together, you know, a team, a variety of rivals yeah. team of rivals was uh, Lincoln's cabinet was called. And the same with Attlee. And, you know, it, it, people people are willing to sort of say, well, actually, your policy on this isn't really working, is it? Yeah. We've got to rethink this and so on. And the danger is that it I it, that you're going to have a, 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 a Starmer government that is very authoritarian. Contrary to all the stuff he bleats on about centralization and devolution, I don't believe a word of it. It will be very a very centralised government because that's the way he runs his party. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I, I mean, hear this man, the... I hear he used to be a human rights lawyer. Well, I don't see much evidence of it in the way he runs his party. Yeah, and look, I think it's fair to say it's
1: you know you're not a um, what they would call a hard life activist, hard left activist.
3: No, I mean, um, my, my background is broadly, I was you know. Right. hold oh, right. I sort of been right wing Labour. Mm-hmm. But I'm also a pluralist. Sure. And I believe you've got to have a variety of opinions and tolerance of people of different mm-hmm. views. And um, and parties need to be broad churches. Yeah. And the way the Labour Party, frankly, has behaved over this, I'll find it
0: difficult to vote Labour in the and, next election.
1: And that's the, so that's the question I have. And, you know, I think it's clear for anyone listening, watching to see that there is a... Um, a system in which you've got to take the knee and kiss the ring to get selected and there's all sorts of political in terms of ideological problems that i think that causes and ideas for the future that a future labor government might have um you know i th- a, a pl- pluralistic view of ideas at the table probably leads to best government but i actually think i have a i have a, a, another concern around it and that's the quality of the individuals going through so a lot of people are being blocked Again, like I said, some people being blocked for good reason, but others are being blocked because um, the preferred candidate is really too scared and too insecure to run against them. And so we are getting what I think, I already think this exists, probably the lowest quality politicians in my lifetime or anywhere in Western Europe. Is that not a concern that because of this corruptish system, we're now getting... You know, this is going to be a problem in five and 10 years time where the quality of the politicians we're getting are substandard.
3: Well, I think you've got to be careful there. And, you know, it's all very well to sort of in a, live in a nostalgic world where yesterday's politicians were all uh, <laughs> uh, a, a wonderful. There were some pretty dreadful politicians in the past, people who were corrupt, people who were yeah. very bright, uh, people who frankly shouldn't have been in parliament. They were given the job to get them out of another mm-hmm. job, you know, say within a trade union, yeah. for example. Um,
1: and it's I, important to know the stitch-ups have happened in the past. It's not just Starman. In, in, that's done it. It's happened in the
3: past. But there, there is, uh, there are. I think there are a lot of mediocrities. There are not many people. You know, the 123 people chosen for Labour so far. There's not many where you say, "Wow, you know, that guy's going to be a cabinet minister within years." There's one exception, actually, and I'll hate it, hate me saying this. Go on, give uh, us a guy the... called Hamish Faulkner, who's the candidate for Lincoln, mm-hmm. who's the son of Charlie Faulkner. You may remember was. Lord Chancellor and Justice Secretary in the uh, the last Labour government. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he comes from he comes from a, he has a very he's only about 36. Everybody says an incredibly nice guy and he, he's got an amazing CV. Uh, you know, he, he went to Cambridge and Yale uh, in America. He, he, he's been working in the Foreign Office. I think he must have left by now, but he was working on. Yeah, uh, he, he was in charge of kidnap cases for the Foreign Office. Uh, which are a lot more frequent than you might think oh, wow. by the way, yeah uh, and he uh, obviously got strong uh, intelligence connections, military connections, and uh, he will be defense secretary or foreign secretary, I predict within you know yeah. five years of of a, a labor government starting, uh, but there 's not many there 's a few with interesting specialisms you 've got a you know a guy who was a professional cyclist and mountaineer, yeah. and you 've got uh, you know, you've got sort of people who are make uh, obvious ministers of state, the second level down, yeah. but not many I mean, look, high-powered I, cabinet ministers, and I, no star names either. There's always a few star names yeah. like Glenda Jackson or Seb Coe. Sure. None of those. No, yet. no, and there and
1: there are some. St- I'm not saying there's no talent. I'm yeah, just saying yeah. there's very little talent because yeah. I, no, I will. I've had people on this show, yeah. right? And there's some gr- uh, some amazing communicators, and I'm really I'm putting their politics to one side. Some amazing yeah. communicators yeah. like. Um, we had Clive Lewis on, who was a yeah. p- pretty good communicator. Oh, incidentally,
3: um, uh, until a guy called Ben uh, Ben Taylor, I think he was chosen for Croydon South, was the last black man yes, to yeah, be yeah. chosen by, La- I and mean, this was in 2013, 10 years ago, yeah. the last black man to be chosen for Labour in a winnable seat. Yeah. That is that is an interesting fact, a, a, bit, a bit of a diversion from your train of thought.
1: We, we've had people on this show. Um, I've interviewed with people, been on BBC with people, and sat through um, question time and other programs where when we've gone off air have sat there with producers and with others going how on earth did this person become a member of parliament because you'd think one of the basics is communicating whether that's media public speaking and others and then i remember flying to america and i was sat in um it was in michigan and we had a we had a rally and you had state senators go up which is basically like councillors but they everything is bigger in america and you had state senator after state senator going up and giving these amazing speeches. And I remember thinking, they're better than some of our shadow cabinet members. So, but the reason is, because they have a slightly more open system, they really have to do that battling and honing their skills in the primaries. And yes. that makes for better politicians and, and, in the and, future. And listeners
3: may not know this, but there—I mean they will have heard of primaries for... The presidential candidates, you yeah. know, Trump is up against Ron DeSantis right now and, and Mike Pence and, and others yeah. to try and become the Republican candidate for president before he can actually stand yeah. in the general election. Well, those primaries take place at every level. Yes. You know, yeah. Congress. And they're often very senator. brutal. I know. Well, yeah. And they're often more important. Yeah. The primary election is Absolutely. more important than the general what, election in a state that's overwhelmingly Democrat. But what it does
1: and what I learned and what it does, and I mentioned yeah. this in the book, is it hones skills. You become a better yeah. communicator. You you get to know your brief better because you know you're going to be and held gets accountable for amazing
3: public attention. So yeah. if there's anything wrong with some of these guys? You know, well, it obviously often doesn't often doesn't work, but occasionally it will work. It will and, come out. Yeah. And what I think the problem with doing it also secretively. And in the Conservative Party, it's even often worked, the members yeah. don't even know who the candidates are yeah. until they turn up to the selection meeting and they yes. give them the list. Yeah. And if you do that, there's no opportunity for people to say, well, you know this bloke, cricket. I mean, uh, isn't he the guy that defrauded you 20 years ago or whatever? <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> yeah. And But I mean, that is important. But I mean, having said all that... Uh, you know, my—I I mean, I'm, I am—I am am doing this in the hope that it will do a little bit to improve the caliber of our politicians, sure. our political class. But and also, I want to encourage people. I you know, I think going into politics is an honourable thing to do. And yeah. you know, I'm, it's slightly shameful I never did it in the end. And it's your—you still got that time. You, uh, you just said they well, posted a to... They don't choose many candidates <laughs> over sixty-five. I think I've only come across one in the current round. Oh really? <laughs> um, so the the—I guess
1: one of the the other questions is. You know, you've been able to see all these different candidates from all across across the country one of my concerns is if you're blocking people and i you know i think it's happening for much more dogmatic ideological reasons but if you're blocking people that have anything in their past history that they've said you know for me it's been tweets at 16 17 years old and that means that they're not able to ever enter politics what you're essentially going to get, in my view, is a class of politicians that have been chiseled, mostly from Eton and Westminster and other places, you know, these these private schools. And you're just going to get one type of politician. And I'm not saying that they have no place in politics. Quite the contrary. But you're only going to get that type of politicians. Well, Isn't that all concerned? Frankly,
3: they're going to be rather boring politicians. Yeah. And I think that anybody who's studied history knows that often the greatest politicians started life as troublemakers. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Winston Churchill is a very good example. I mean, Neil Kinnock, you know, he's died. Marrill McMillan was a troublemaker. Yeah. And if you're if you're going to exclude troublemakers from the start, yeah. then you are you are excluding, um, you know, potentially very good leaders who will become much more establishment types. Yeah. Um, later on, maybe they should be troublemakers. Later on as well. I yeah. mean, Michael Foote, another another he became leader of the Labour Party after a life of trouble, yeah. uh, and you know and he'd been expelled from the Parliamentary Party, I think, more than once. Yeah. And uh, Nye Bevan and Stafford Cripps, yeah. you know, st- uh, huge, p- towering figures in the Attlee government after yeah. the war were both expelled from the Labour Party in 1939 because yeah. they wanted a popular front with the communists and other groups uh, against uh, fascism, but even and if that you, was against the party line.
1: But if you applied the current view of anything that you've said that might, and the question is, might embarrass the party, if you applied that to the current parliamentary Labour Party, regardless of politics, how many of them survive?
3: Well, the current parliamentary party, you've got got—you've got a fair number of... A, a, a greater number would survive as... as, as uh, sorry, if you mean if you said only, troublemakers... No, I don't excluded. mean troublemakers. I'm, mean, yeah, excluded. That's right. what I'm saying, yeah. yeah well, I mean, or if, if they've said
1: anything in their past which might embarrass well, the party. Uh, uh,
3: most of them. And frankly, mm-hmm. Kirsten Darmer. Yes. I mean, Kirsten Darmer was against the Iraq war. Well, that would probably be now regarded as a, as a reason to exclude someone <laughs> as a candidate. Yes. I mean, this is the hypocrisy of the Jamie Driscoll case. Uh, I mean, he has been excluded for doing a cultural event with uh, Ken Loach, the film director. I mean, I don't like Ken Loach's politics, but I love his films. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people would say the same. Uh, and Keir Starmer himself appeared in a very famous Ken Loach yes, film yeah, I've at le- I, I've about le- the McLibel case. I've learned that now, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so Starmer should be standing down. Yes. So <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really—it it
1: really stinks of insecurity to me because actually, I me—I mean, know the party pretty well. The membership has dramatically changed. A lot of people have left. The Starmer loyalists should have a pretty easy route into winning, no? Because the, the membership of the party has changed Yeah, but radically. they're
3: terrified, you see. I mean, that Luke who I, who I was debating with the other day, he, he says, well, look, you know, if we get a... And actually, both sides agree on this. If we get... If the, if the party wins the next election with a majority, say, of 20... Yeah, here we majority, go. <laughs> then it means that a group of 25 on the left in Parliament. Exactly. And right now the socialist group of MPs, the, the left-wingers are 35 strong. Yes. They will actually, you know, potentially hold the balance of power within the Commons yeah. and that's what worries them. And the only way they're, they're, they're going to remedy that is by yeah. getting rid of all left-wingers yes. and all troublemakers. And of course you can never identify them yeah. all. And today's, uh, today's orthodox, you know, yeah. Tony Benn started off by being a very orthodox and establishment yeah. figure and moved to the left uh, and that sometimes happens as well. So uh, it it um, it's very draconian. It's very ruthless, and I think in the long term it will co- it will it will come to bite the yeah. Labour rights. Uh, and and you know and the and Labour they'll... left when they come back is as inevitably they will after a Labour government they always do yeah. uh, will will want to take their revenge.
1: It's uh, 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 <laughs> my, my penultimate question to you is on yeah. that because I had a um, when the when the left seemed. Immovable in the Labour Party, maybe in 2018, let's say. Yeah, not long ago. I had um, I had a fellow councillor. I'll give a shout out. Kerry Prince who's up north now, who said to me, "Never forget that the party's cyclical. That one day your opponents will be in power, and then the same is true now." Do you think, you know, putting your all of your experience in British politics, are they making a lot of enemies now, and you know, causing problems within the party that may turn its head in two, three years time?
3: Exactly. Uh, I think they are. It'll be longer than two or three years, but you, you look after every Labour government, uh, you know, the Attlee government, the Wilson government of the 60s and Wilson Callow in the 70s and, uh, and then the, the Blair Brown government. There was a reaction to the, to the left each time, generally stronger and stronger each time. It's almost like, a, a, you know, a, a vendetta between two mafia gangs. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, they, you know, they keep killing each other. And every time it gets nastier and bloodier. Uh, and yes. the murder is more grisly yeah. um, and uh, they, they, they feel right, we've really got to get yeah. revenge problem this is, time and, and, yeah. uh, and wipe the other lot out yeah. and, and, it, and all it does is harm the Labour yeah. Party publicly and makes it more unelectable. <laughs> and
1: the problem is this is often in full view of the general public yes. who aren't as interested or as factional as, as Labour politicians might be. Listen Michael I've had a great time, this has been amazing the, the time has gone so quickly uh, I wish I had another hour with you and I'm sure i are going to get you back but I have one last question for you we have one thing in common. We're both, I think, season ticket holders to Man United. We I are didn't one. know you're a season ticket yes, holder. Yes, yeah, wow. yeah, North Stand. We are one game away from disaster. <laughs> Should I find somewhere to hide for long and long a long time? Do you think that they're going to? I will the trouble? be.
3: I normally watch what I call the European Cup final, but I I'm not going to be watching on Saturday. I'm sure I've got something else to do.
1: Yes, and I'll be joining you. Whatever <laughs> that is.
3: <laughs> I mean. You know, the, the only thing... I mean, obviously, you know, I, I feel... Uh, I'll be, I will feel jealous that City have emulated our record of the treble. Yes. But I still think... It's about time they the, answered those questions yeah. about their finances. 115, 115 cases. 115 points. I mean, yeah. I, you know, the City, the Premier, the, the, the City had 115 yeah. points in the Premier League this, this season. 150 yeah. points. I mean, look, fifteen points about their finances yeah. and why they refuse to cooperate. And with it just the doesn't League. feel
1: the same as 99, does it? I mean, you, you remember very well 99. There's not the same emotion behind this that no. there was then.
3: And if you think of the teams United beat in 99 yeah. to win the European Cup. I mean, Bayern Munich, they faced twice. Barcelona, Inter Milan. Juventus. uh, Juventus in the semi-final. uh, And Juventus were a huge team in those days. In the FA Cup, we played, you know, the top... Yeah, Chelsea, Arsenal. I think yeah. teams In the Premier League, Are these, so, these uh, lot beat it's Sheffield been United. Little, an easier run for City. Yeah. Having said that, they have had some amazing yeah. performances, including, I am afraid to say, against
1: <laughs> us. <laughs> okay. Well, listen. Thank you so much. That was Michael Crick, veteran politician, one of the great voices in British uh, politics over the last ten, fifteen years, uh, and the founder of Tomorrow MPs Twitter page, which you can follow at Tomorrow MPs and keep in touch with all of our future leaders. Michael, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you, and thank you for the
1: book. Well, how about that? Um, I think most people would agree that Michael is not someone who's known as from the left, or the hard left, as they like to call it, of the party, and yet he has a scathing, scathing view of the way that the selections around the country have gone. And one thing I wanted to highlight was, you know, as we talked about all of these different people, people like Lauren Townsend, who who were blocked for liking tweets, uh, with Nicola Sturgeon who had tested negative uh, for COVID and councillors and council leaders who have been blocked from standing, uh, often with no reason given and purely so that the loyalists can get in. People like Darren Rodwell in Barking, who were accused of racism um, and who allegedly made comments during Black History Month of having the worst tan for a black man People like Frank McCavity in Glasgow, who was accused of sexism. Christian Wakeford MP, who this week has had to apologize for sharing a picture with Gene Simmons, who referred to Islam as a vile culture um, and has previously had allegations of Islamophobia around a picture he took at Al Aqsa Mosque. Neil Coyle MP, who was allowed back after he was suspended for harassing an assistant and racially abusing a journalist. People like Joyce Mac- uh, McCarty. Uh, who referred to the deselection of Nick Forbes as a Muslim plot. All of these people have not been expelled, often been allowed to stand uh, and been allowed to continue uh, as candidates or in their respective roles in the party. And that is why even people who, like he said, might consider himself on the right of the party, Michael Crick, one of the the biggest journalists in the country, are so scathing uh, about the... Labour Party selections and so now we have someone who has been a person who has experienced the sharpest end of this we'll call you know atrocious selection process uh, and system that has been in place we have Emma Dent uh from Kensington Emma was the Member of Parliament for Kensington and Chelsea Council and former Labour MP for uh, Kensington was barred from running in the next election uh, she has since left the Labour Party um, as she said, it has become unrecognizable to the party she joined. Um, and she said that the tipping point was when she realized Keir Starmer had accepted hospitality from a contractor that was involved in, in a mass Grenfell-style refurbishments of buildings uh, in Portsmouth. Emma, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, I um, we've spoken a lot today about the process, and I think it is beyond question that there's something really, and excuse my language, fucked up happening in the Labour Party selection process. I don't want to recriminate that. What I want to hear from you is someone who has put so much of their life, their emotional capacity, their physical capacity into the Labour Party. What does it feel personally to be told you can't stand? The first person who won that seat for Labour is not able to, to stand. What, what kind of emotional to- toil does that take? Oh, I don't think Emma can hear us. So we're just going to test. Uh, we're just going to try that again. Emma, can you can you hear me? No, she's pointing in her ears. So I think there are some technical issues that that she can't hear us. So we're going to look. We're going to deal. We're going to deal with that. But one of the things I want to tackle, and you know, a lot of times when we're talking about these selection processes, we're talking about. Uh, it seems like we we discuss them as individual seats and as part of a spreadsheet and, and uh, what sort of impact does this have on parliamentary arithmetic, when the reality is, and I had someone text me this over, over the pre-recorded interview with Michael, these are real people. And the impacts this has is on real people. People like Emma, who, regardless of what you think of her politics, or people like myself and others, who you may not agree with, all of even even the majority of the things that we say have put so much of their life on the line for the Labour Party. You know, I I went through some pretty scathing racist attacks. Um, I was one of the few candidates around the country who had to have plainclothes police officers at some of my um, some of my rallies because of the number of death threats that we had received. The the amount of media attention and scrutiny we've got, the impact that has on jobs, on family. We had journalists outside my mum's house and talking to my family. The emotional turmoil, the amount you put in for this party and ultimately for your community, to then be told by some NEC member, usually in London, that you're not good enough to be a candidate, uh, taking that power away from your members, but also the impact that that has on local CLP executives chairs, secretaries, campaign managers, campaign coordinators who work for free for the Labour Party, who put so much of their life on the line for the Labour Party, who when they could be playing with their kids or their grandkids, when they could be uh, out enjoying the sun as today as we can see out today, they deliver leaflets, they stuff envelopes, uh, they pick up the phone and call people for the, to, to be told by them, to them, that they have no power in who their candidate is going to be um, many of whom have resigned around the country. We've seen um, CLP executives en masse uh, resigning uh, in, in certain seats as a result um, of the way that the candidates have been blocked. You know, telling them they have no power despite all that they've put into the party, despite all the energy and emotional turmoil they've put into the party is really fucked up. Um, and that is the reality of i think what people are going through i'm going to try emma again emma can you hear me better this time hello no can't
0: hear
1: you oh can you hear me now
0: oh i can hear you now
1: emma i'm going to make a really embarrassing admission there's a button right in front of me here <laughs> that i hadn't clicked um which i have now clicked so so um we we are back with you emma we've been talking about the selection process and yes. um Michael Crick, who is a um, one of the big journalists that have been covering it, who is definitely not on the left of the party, was really scathing about basically the, the level in which things have been stitched up and the impact that has on democracy, on party, and on politics around the country. We've covered yeah. the technical bits of how fucked up it all is, right? What I've been talking about in the last f- few minutes is the emotional turmoil that people go through. You were blocked um, as... Uh, you know, you were former Labour MP, one of the first people, I think, if not the first person to have won that seat for Labour, a councillor for years and years. uh, You've put so much of your life, your emotions, your physical and mental well-being into this party, and then you're told you're not a high-quality candidate. Can you tell us how that feels? Uh,
0: Well, I I wasn't going to cry because I was so freaking angry, actually. I was really, really angry. I kind of thought it might happen. Um, but at the same time, thought that maybe because of Grenfell um, and the fact that I was there and I was known and people trusted me and I worked like a dog, and um, I thought that that might uh, let me out, <laughs> let me through. But um, I was just angry more than anything else. I really angry, and um, um, and that sort of stayed with me for a bit. And uh, how much?
1: What's the fallout been like? Because like one of the other things we've seen happen often, we focus a lot on the candidates, as we should. The candidates, you know often at the forefront have the most amount of sort of pain that they feel when they're told you're not good enough even though we've put all of our lives and and so much of our mental and again physical well-being into the party um, but we've also seen you know clp secretaries chairs execs on mass resigning because they're yep. essentially being told you know fi- being two, fin- two fingers up to the local clp executives we don't care what you think some f- some person at hq in southwark down in central london will tell you who the best candidate is? Have you seen that sort of impact locally with your activists and volunteers?
0: Yeah, I mean, we knew we knew that there was a huge change um, coming up. Um, um, a lot of people just disheartened and weren't going to keep fighting. And uh, we've been a very left CLP as long as I've been a member of it, which is a very long time, decades. Um, and it was almost too left for me when I joined, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> um, but we knew there was going to be a takeover and it's to do with money, power, and a bit of dishonesty, actually, frankly. There was some all kinds of dodgy business, and you know what, I work incredibly hard, but I do not break the rules. And I, um, the, the, there was rule breaking going on, which I found absolutely disgraceful. And many of us have stepped out, and I've stepped out, and I'm doing the things that really matter to me. I can, you know, I don't have to go to meetings and be shouted at anymore, which has been happening for many years, uh, local branch meetings and CLP. Um, you know, the few who disagree are very loud and very rude and um, um, accused of, um, well, we have a lot of uh, black members who just stopped coming because they thought it was getting a bit racist actually. Um, so they just stopped coming, which was awful. So, you know, where is the action happening? Um, it, it's happening on my house now, actually. I'm mm. super busy. So, um, you know, we, we've got a Grenfell anniversary coming up next week. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, Grenfell um, parliamentary debate coming up i've worked really hard on that behind the scenes i do all the briefings yeah. talking to my old buddies there um um and i'm and i'm uh you know i'm probably gonna write another book i wrote a book um came out a while ago about the council about six months ago probably going to do another one amazing um you know i've, I've lost a lot of the day-to-day stuff but I'm keeping myself busy. I wasn't going to yeah. go
1: off and listen. We definitely, yeah. we we definitely, we definitely want to. We definitely want to have you back when you finish writing that second book, because I want to hear all about it. But um, on on, you know, I think one of the, the the reasons I wanted you on today is, um, one of the unique things about your seat is Grenfell, uh, and the result of Grenfell saw huge public outcry and a lack of trust in politicians, um, yep. and so the blocking of you only furthers that apathy that lack of trust in politicians no because you know you're someone who you know in other places of the country it's clearly been and me and michael described it as you either take a knee and kiss the ring of the leadership or you won't even be given a chance for members to pick you in your seat i think it's particularly pernicious because you're someone who has worked hard on one of the biggest tragedies of my lifetime that i've seen now because of some frothing of the mouth factionalism in central london being told you're not good enough to be a candidate, and therefore your community is being told they're good, not good enough to be a Labour Party candidate. No,
0: yeah, a lot of people were very, very angry when they heard. Um, obviously, it was in the press and so on. I had genuinely had people, complete strangers, coming up to me in Labbrook Grove and, and hugging me and in tears. I genuinely that has happened. Um, just extraordinary. They, that happened when I lost the seat in 2019. And it's been happening again, people angry and upset. Um, so a lot of there's quite a mm. few members have left the party yeah. um in frustration and they're going out on the marches and all kinds of other things and not worrying about if they bump into Jeremy Corbyn or Loki, who's one of our neighbours for heaven's sake, you know, who's all, always on the naughty list. Um, so people feeling a bit more relaxed. So Um, if they are being let down a lot of people aren't going to vote the people who voted for me in 2017 because they knew me you know, Mm -hmm. accountable everyone knows where I live for heaven's sake you know, my kids were at school with their kids they know me in and out um, inside out so um, there's a huge um, sense of betrayal and Mm -hmm. I hear it um, all the time every day I go out somebody stops me (laughs) Um, and uh, they talk about the Labour Party and how disappointed they are and you know, that's it's horrible but we're not giving up we're still doing our work we're just not through the party
1: and so uh, i guess uh the last question i want to ask and i'm definitely going to have you back um uh, we definitely want to hear more about the the second book that you're going to write um do
0: you like my poster by the way i
1: do i really appreciated what you had in the background there uh, which people will be able to see um how important you know again that community has been through a great tragedy uh, but as well as has suffered through all the other crises that the rest of us have had to go through, from cost of living to the NHS crisis and other yeah. things, I spoke to Michael about it earlier as well. How important is it? And I know you've left the party, but as a voice, maybe of some influence that you can have, how important is it to have local people who understand the pain, the mm-hmm. real life of the community as Absolutely. leaders, rather than yeah, some spad or think tank? Twenty-six something. No, because there are there are so
0: there are people who who live in parts of the borough who still don't know how bad it is in North Kent. You know, we have, um, uh, it is that local knowledge you really, really need to understand because you could walk around the streets, you could walk around the poorest part of our our ward. You know, we have the poorest neighbourhood in the whole of London. And the area around Grenfell Tower has just entered the multi-deprivation list for the first time, top 10 of the uh, multi-deprivation in the whole of London after they spent tens of millions on it. You can walk around. You go, oh, this is nice. It's lovely, and isn't Kensington gorgeous? I said, well, you know, do you want to come down to the food bank? See people queuing up. See them, yep. you know, on a on a Friday, there's like 50 people waiting outside. They run out of food. They've got a baby bank, and this is the real the real side of it. They, the yep. council sanitizes the poverty, and they spend more money on that than they do on actually helping people to get out of poverty. And they don't want handouts. They want a hand mm. up. They want to be able to do it for themselves but they won't do it because they're bastards Um, and I to continue to pursue them. Um, So yeah, that, that local knowledge is absolutely essential. Um, They've implanted somebody who's going around to try and find out um, um, and he will not have the trust of the community because they don't know him and he's come in for, but yeah for his ambitions
1: i don't even know because <laughs> i'll be honest, I don't can't know. bear to see
0: to, to see people you know struggling
1: yeah i don't even know who that is but i will say that i was there the day after grenfell obviously it was during ramadan and we were at the local masjid and i i i, I saw more than at any point in my entire life the the anger of a community who's been let down by politics um and unfortunately yep. it looks like trust is um, is only getting worse amongst uh, our local communities uh, and politicians. Yeah, and
0: people are still angry.
1: Definitely. Uh, thank you so much, Emma. We're definitely going to have you back. That was Emma Dentkowid, a uh, member uh, of Kensington and Chelsea Council and former Labour MP for Kensington, who was barred from running in the next election. Uh, now, remember, someone like Emma, uh, who had been, was the first person to win Kensington for the Labour Party, was not allowed to stand. Neil Coyle MP was allowed back into the Parliamentary Labour Party after being suspended for harassing an assistant and racially abusing a journalist, Christian Wakeford was allowed back, um, is is allowed to sit in the Parliamentary Labour Party and will almost definitely be reselected uh, as the candidate in Bury, despite sharing an image of Gene Simmons, who referred to Islam as a vile culture, uh, who's now been forced to apologize. Um, and people like Darren Rodwell, who was accused of racism, saying the worst tan for a black man during a Black History Month event will continue to stand. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I will say this, look, the, there is no doubt in anyone's mind, including someone who is definitely not a hard left member, if you, if you like to use those words like Michael Crick, that the selection processes, the way we select our politicians is broken uh, and therefore the kind of politicians we get are broken and the only way that we can address, you know, we can't keep expecting to send the same people to Westminster and have different results. The only way we change our politics is to change the people making these decisions. It's not going to get better until we get involved, until we change these structures, until we make sure that we get leaders who des- understand what it's like to live like us, because we deserve leaders who understand what it's like to live like us. So I want to say a huge thank you to, to Emma Dent Coed. For former Labour MP for joining me Natalie Balmain the UK's first alternative Prime Minister and God could we use more alternative MPs and Prime Ministers and Michael Crick a veteran political journalist uh, and the and the creator of tomorrow tomorrow's MPs who has been monitoring the selections all around the country My call to you would be I know it's shit uh, but now is more the time for all of you from untraditional backgrounds those who haven't been chiseled from birth in Eton and in Oxford and Cambridge for public office the only way our politics changes is if people like you get involved stand for parliament stand for council stand for parish council uh, stand for your local schools whatever it is to get involved in our politics because it's only with people who know what it's like to live like us who feel the pain of our communities who understand the struggles of our communities in leadership positions that our politics are going to change so once again a huge thank you to michael crick to emma dent coed to natalie bowman For joining another episode of Politics Uncensored, you can follow us on Instagram at Politics Uncensored. I am on Twitter at Ali Milani UK, and I will see you all next week.
0: Salams. Filmish with Sean Walsh and Mark Simmons.
3: Hello, you are listening to the Filmish show. I'm, of course, Sean Walsh,
2: joined as always, by Mark Simmons. Yo. So,
3: coming up on the show,
2: we'll have movie news.
1: Movie news.